JV Knowledge Podcast Network. On episode 44 of the Insure Tech Geek Podcast, talking about all things tech and construction on the job site with risk management with on-site IQ Artelon Cosrapore. InsureTech Geek Podcast, powered by JB Knowledge, is all about technology that's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. We'll be interviewing guests and doing deep dives into specific technologies we see changing the industry. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech, so enjoy the ride and geek out. Man, oh man, another day. Another day, another day. Tell you what, I'm excited about the weekend being here. Of course, as we record this, it's Friday, December the 11th, on the week on the verge of a weekend without any any of my Aggie football. They Ole Miss canceled out because of the COVID. I, you know, they still play football in Michigan. Do they still allow that, or do you have to go out of state like they did in California? <laughs> Wasn't that weird watching the four, the 49ers had to play a home game in Arizona? Ironically, where the case count was higher, they had to go to a state with a higher case count. To play a football game this week, I was thinking I was on Monday. I think, I mean, yeah, what it said a nutty, 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 inconsistent world. That's the uh, that's the challenge. Is Michigan, Michigan, are they playing football this weekend, Rob? No, the the game with Ohio State is canceled this oh, year. Which no. from a Spartan, like I was kind of looking for the U of M beatdown, which is what would have happened. So I just gotta you know be satisfied with my Spartans winning this year and yeah. lorded over our Wolverine yeah. friends. They, they did. They won Michigan state beat Michigan 27, 24. It was a beautiful victory. Congratulations uh, to Sparty. And, and certainly I was looking forward to watching Michigan get beat down by Ohio state as well, but alas, that's not going to happen because that's right. Hashtag COVID Ardalon, uh, What sports you follow, man? I do mostly follow. I, I follow football, but mostly I'll go for basketball and if I get extra time, I'll watch sports. Honestly, busy, busy, busy time right now. What do you mean? Like work, so, work, work consumes time that you can't watch sports. Oh, my goodness. Ah, uh, sometimes get in the way of each other. You see? I know. And you're, <laughs> and you're in, you're in New York city, right? Yeah. I'm in New York city, actually working or doing this podcast from the office. Nice. And guess what? We're the only people at this office. The whole floor is empty. What? It's actually sad. That is sad. I mean, you know, we've got a pretty big office. Uh, here headquarters and we we bring up you know two three four people everybody kind of spreads out goes their own like everybody has like a thousand square feet or something i mean it's insane you know i mean we have you know they're we have closed offices so that's great i'm glad you get to actually use all that office you pay rent for right i mean that's a yeah a, <laughs> especially new york city rent man that's tough that's tough that's tough that's tough stuff. You, you you look at the city right now all of we works all the co-working spaces that the desks are so cheap they're just they're just trying to find a way to make people comfortable to come back to the office because because it's not like it's not like other states you can get on a car and drive to work. You got to get on that freaking subway, and then you don't know what what you're signing up for when you get into that train or car till you get to work. Yeah, so feels, that makes it difficult. Feels a bit like a COVID container, doesn't it? Like a giant steel yeah. COVID tube. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can understand. You know, the, re- the reality is like you know, air travel is super safe now. They've sanitized the hell out of you. You're basically in a giant sanitized air scrub tube in the sky. 
Uh, you're safer. You're safer flying in an airplane, commercial airplane, than you are going out to eat at a restaurant where they distance the tables. You know, I mean, it's uh, might might as well. But hey, you know, logic does not always prevail in everything. Of course, I want everybody to be safe and be healthy. You know, a lot of people have been impacted by this. But Ardalan, we're gonna we're gonna talk about tech before we do. <laughs> I want, I want to remind everybody, you can subscribe to the InsureTech Geek Podcast by texting GEEK OUT to 66866. Make sure you never miss an episode. We'll email you every week with the episode and the show notes. So Ardalan um, Kazrapour from Onsite IQ, you, you've got an interesting background. You, you, got a, you got a bachelor's in civil from uh, Shiraz University. And is that, is that you, you Persian? Is that, is that what that is? Yep. Persian, born and raised in Iran. I came to the States <laughs> almost 10 years ago now. Yeah. Some of my very good friends are Persian, and uh, I gotta tell you, man, Persians. It's per, per, you know, Iran, it, it, I, I like I like to say I've noticed that they all say they're Persian, <clears throat> and and instead of Iranian, you know. And so I'm like, <laughs> so I roll with that, you know, because of course, ancient Persia, massive conquering uh, capital that it was, uh, was a pretty awesome place. And Persian people are great too, and and really, there's a there's a great entrepreneurial spirit. Every one of my friends who's Persian is like a hustler on entrepreneurship, man. I mean, I'm serious. Like they must be in the water and the blood because man, you got some hustlers that are your compatriots from, uh, from Iran, man, because they are after it. And I mean, every one of them is an entrepreneur. So talk to me, you got, you got a degree in civil in 2012 and then you came over to, <laughs> I mean, the most non-Iranian town you could have possibly picked in the United <laughs> States of America, Champaign-Urbana, or as the locals call it, Champana, Illinois. To get your master's at U of I, what happened there? So I I picked Urbana Champaign because they have a very good civil engineering program there, right? So I got an admission. I started studying there, and then halfway through, I've noticed, holy crap, construction is not about studying it. It's more about going to the field, working the work, learning, just just getting getting your boots on, and then. It just hit me. I was like, okay, that's a way. What else can I do? So I switched halfway through to computer science, computer vision AI courses. And then I got super, super interested. So when I was a student there, I used to put cameras on a job site as a research, just track track workers and 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 then try to create these crew labor charts, productivity charts. And that was just research, right? So I just got interested in AI, computer vision. And then while I was applying for jobs. Set. Okay, this AI thing is super interesting. Let me see if I can do a PhD and learn more about it. Uh, and I got a I got a kick-ass scholarship from Virginia Tech with a really really good advisor there, John Taylor. He's an ex-entrepreneur, Stanford grad, in, incredible guy. And I got to spend a couple more years just doing doing research around AI and applications in built environments and construction. So now, did did you work with Manny Golpavar over there at uh, U of I, Shambana? Yeah. So I was a student of Money, and I worked with Money at that lab. Of course, and he is one of the pioneers of computer vision in construction. So early yep. on, I think Monty actually moved the the industry forward by by his research and just being so 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 adamant about the fact that this needs to happen, and I have to push forward for it, and then everyone else followed. And now we see the result in the industry, right? There was no computer vision in construction when I was a student in Monty's lab, and. Is one of the people who actually initiated this this trend or AI in construction. Awesome. So tell me, what does Onsite IQ do? Just in the in the elevator pitch, short summary. What does Onsite IQ do, and how does it help manage risk? 
Sure. So Onsite IQ is a visual data capture platform built for the construction industry. We primarily work with owners, insurance carriers, and lenders. So if you want to look at the profile, these are people who are sitting at the office. They're not in the field. They're not boots on the grounds. We have a massive network of people, 1.2 million people in 1,300 cities in North America. They use off-the-shelf 360-degree camera, go to the job sites on a weekly basis and capture 100% of the site every single week. The video gets submitted to our platform. Our software automatically maps it to the floor plan. Pretty much like Google Street View, you can walk the site. And then we can analyze the data and identify three in diff- three different categories, measure milestones, risk slash safety, and quality. And when you're talking about risk, it could be schedule and delay risk. It could be quality risk, or it could be safety risk, right? Risk has a very, very broad meaning, at least in our industry. So by connecting the field to the experts sitting at the top, right? your director of risk, your safety manager, your PM, VP of construction, head of development, you bridging that information flow gap and you creating a time for them to react fast enough, right? So let's say we're talking about schedule risk, right? The schedule is slipping. And if you're a VP of development, you're looking at this project as a financial product. Every month of delay means your carry cost plus your loss of revenue. It's not a penny. It's, you're talking about a couple million dollars a month, potential losses. Now, if I can create a time, if we can shorten the time to react, time to identify and react to that issue for you, I can save I can save you a lot of money. I can give you the opportunity to make back that money or not lose that money. Plus, if you finish early, that's great. The same concept with the insurance carriers. You have roughly, on average, carriers inspecting one out of every 10 job sites. Why do they do that? because they want to control the loss ratio. Very simple concept. Now, flying someone to a location, hotel, expenses, walk through, create a report, come back, this whole process takes 24 hours at least. And it costs them roughly around $2,000, $2,500. And from a threshold down, when the premium comes lower than a threshold, it's not worth making that visit anymore because the economics don't work. Now, can you have a risk engineer who's super, super, super knowledgeable, and instead of one visit a day, bring the data to them, enable them to do five inspections a day? Now you're enhancing them, you're giving them higher coverage, and then bottom line, at the end, the carrier will have a lower loss ratio because now you have more eyes on your sites, helping your clients and controlling the exposure and liability. Yeah, but what, what about... Analytics, I want to talk, you know, as well, just so our, so our listeners can sure. understand how the software works. What about sure. the, what about the analytical capabilities? Because you have some other players in the construction imaging space that automatically identify workers not wearing PPE, workers not wearing gloves, workers sure. not wearing hard hats. Automatically, so, so they're taking it even a step farther. Like you're, You are doing a full service offering. And I want to hear which carriers you're working with that you can talk about because it's a, it's a huge deal for, for, for risk management. But, you know, Talk about how you take it a step farther by actually doing some of the analytics so they don't have to do all the manual work. Absolutely. So what's unique about our approach? Because we're consistently collecting data and it's full full coverage. When we're collecting this data, you're not looking at a set of random images here and there anymore. You can get visibility towards the full picture of a job site. That's the first step. 
So far, we have trained and we have the capability to detect around 54 objects at 87% accuracy. In the next three months, we're going to get that number to 100 objects at 95% accuracy. And we were talking about objects. You look at major milestones, you're talking about sheetrocks, framing, uh, foundation, plumbing, ducts, so on and so forth, all, all the way to the punch list. When you're talking about risk or safety specifically, Talking about PPE, housekeeping. I mean, PPE is honestly, Amazon just released the PPE detection online for everyone. So everybody can have PPE detection right now, which is great. Housekeeping, water standing on the ground, combustibles, safety net, so on and so forth. And then when it comes to quality, it's mostly objects before you close the wall and running an inspection, make sure, make sure everything's according to the plan. So right now, 54 objects, 90%, 87% accuracy, end of the year, we're targeting 100 objects, 95% accuracy. And the only reason we could do that is because we control the way we collect the data. It's not a set of random images coming in. In the past year and a half, we've collected 250 million images off the job site. And that's by, by far one of the fastest data collection engines out there. Awesome. And James, you know, it's a chicken and egg problem. You don't have a consistent, well-structured data. You don't have label. You can't train an AI engine. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of competing AI engines in the space. And by the way, I didn't know. Uh, so you, you, I, di I didn't know Amazon actually released an intrinsic set of functionality for PPE detection on AWS. But that's not surprising, right? I mean, it's uh, a common demand. This is one of the beautiful things about cloud-based architecture is that you can actually leverage what major companies are doing for everybody. And everybody all of a sudden gets a new feature set functionally for free. So it's pretty pretty amazing. Rob, what you got? Yeah, Arlon, so great to have you on. And I just wanted to give a shout out. Actually, the first foreign language translation of my book, The End of Insurance as We Know It, was in Farsi. So uh, it's now available here in the States and, and elsewhere in English and now in Iran and, uh, in Farsi. So uh, shout out. Uh, please nice. spread the word in your own country. So, sure. so risk always exists in construction. I mean, you talked about kind of identifying these, these hazards, but how do you also benchmark the risk on these projects? So very, very good point. So there are two ways to benchmark this, right? One is, as you might have seen, is it's just a random sampling approach. Throw all your photos at me. I'll identify the risk, benchmark it against how many photos. When you drill down, the reality is every project has a different size. You have a different number of man hours involved per day, which means how many workers you have, right? And that determines your exposure. You go deep into how the workers comps being priced. It's based on the payroll, right? It, it's just that simple. So if you want to benchmark the way we look at it in, in the industry, if you're looking at casualty, your you basically have to normalize it based on the headcount. How many workers, what trades, what were they doing, what's exposure. And then when you're looking at the property risk, you're looking at the size of that asset, square footage, location, zip code, surrounding, so on and so forth. Without those two pieces of information, you can't say, I found 200 PPE issues, 200 in what? 200 in a job site with 1 million workers on it? or 200 on a job site with 200 workers on it, right? It, it, it makes a huge, huge difference for you to, for, for insurance carrier to digest and say, okay, 200 in a million is, I get it. It's, 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 it happens. Maybe they're taking a lunch break, who knows? So that's our thought process. And then to, to be able to do that, that's one of the reasons we do walk 100% of the site every single time. 
Because now I can vary, even if it's every three months, even if it's on a monthly basis, not every day, I can benchmark you against everything else I see in the industry in a fair way, right? Three PP shoes, when you have 20 workers on a job side, eh, not so good, right? But three in 200, 300, 400, it's noise. It's basically, it doesn't mean anything, to be honest. And, and that's, that's, that's our approach, thought process. Look at these trends, normalize them, and then cross compare across the country for, for carriers to, to be able to make decision and prioritize who needs the most help. Otherwise, there's going to be a casualty. Yeah, so, the contextualization makes, makes all, all the difference. It's not just about capturing the, the data and processing it, right? But, but knowing that context and, and having that context, it makes total sense. James? Absolutely. Now, you know, I, Ardalan, you know, I love construction and I love insurance and I love the intersection of them. So I want to know who, who are the early adopters here on the insurance side? Which carriers can you talk about that you've been working with and how does the program actually work? Sure. So we work with multiple carriers, the ones that I mentioned, Axop, Excel, of course, you're familiar with Gary Kaplan, Rose Hall and the team over there, incredible team. We work with uh, Hartford Insurance. You got Brett Bush, Toby Cushion, Dan Campany, the whole team over there, innovation team, very progressive. And then we work with the Zurich Insurance team with James Boylo and John Tate and a few others over there. They have different models and some is still an R&D, yet to be determined if it's effective. And some is your classic, classic, classic referral model. So like AXA, that has built an ecosystem, every carrier has this vendor referral agreement or management system where, hey, we see value for our clients, we're gonna refer you, and, and, and that's it. We helped our clients, we look good in front of our clients because we help them, and it's win-win. Everyone wins in this scenario. Now the question becomes, how do you get that engine to work? How do you communicate? How do you educate the insurance carrier to help you sell your product to the clients or, or suggest it to the clients? So there's an education component here that is super, super important. On the other side, we have carriers who directly work with us and they hire us to complement their risk engineering arm. And that's me being XYZ insurance company wanting to protect my bottom line and control my loss ratio because I know if I have more information, I can help my clients, right? And control the risk. And those are, those, those are the two main models. A third one, which I want to congr- congratulate AXA, XL, and Gary and the whole team for, for at least giving this a shot is what AXA calls HPP, highly protected programs, that you as a prospect or a client, if you implement these sets of technologies, water intrusion detection, safety, fall protection, so on and so forth, and let us help you and give us access to that information, we'll incentivize you to do that. We'll give you a better premium rate because we believe these will control the risk. We will have fewer claims down the road. And that's a whole new category that you've seen it in other insurance lines, like, like your renter's insurance. You have an ADP system, there you go, you get a, you get a, you get a discount. Or you install a flow, you get a, you get an insurance discount on it. Even in construction, you have it. It's not very well structured, right? Anecdotally, hey, if you have a Medicon side, if you have this, if you have that, we'll work with you on a premium. But it's it's never there's never been an attempt to very well structure it. 
And AXA is giving everyone a push to, they're, they're, they're the first one to try it. And I'm sure after a couple of iterations, it'll work out well. Well, it just shows the necessary entanglement between technology providers and insurance carriers because uh, it, it, it is one of those few things where literally everybody wins, right? The loss ratio can come down. The, the, the insured can end up paying less premium. The carrier can end up paying out less claims. Technology company gets their revenue. Like literally everybody can win. And there's not a lot of things you can do in business where every single party to the transaction definitively wins, demonstrably wins. And this is definitely one of those. Uh, we, you know, we've had Gary on the show, and Gary, Gary's been a, a, a friend for, for a long time. And I'm, I'm thrilled with the leadership role that he and the, and the team at AXA and, and Rose and you know, everybody uh, over there at AXA, uh, Excel has done a, a pretty incredible job. And it's nice that they're, they're the largest PNC carrier in the world because they, can, uh, they, they certainly, when they make a move, it's a big move, right? So it's, it, that's awesome. Uh, Rob? Yeah, so thanks for articulating kind of those different business models. I guess I'm wondering, uh, do you see any concern either in the construction side or on the insurance side about job loss? Do they see your technology as being threatening, kind of, you know, taking away the role of a you know risk engineer or, or other discipline? Very good points. So realistically, the technology doesn't shift job, right? You can't, construction is so complicated. You cannot replace a human who is walking, contextualizing everything, trying to advise or consult with a client. No, but there is a perception where, oh, the AI will take away my job and why do they need a risk engineer or claims adjuster if an AI can do this, right? But in reality, that's not how it works. The way it will eventually work is that each risk engineer, instead of flying, going to the job site, doing a visit, coming back four years, four, four days later, you have to report this whole process. You're sitting in the office. You can look at five sites simultaneously per day. Your output will grow 5x. You actually are adding so much value. You become way more crucial important, and important to the organization, and the carrier will save money, right? Very simple. Now, how do you educate the existing workforce that this is the direction and it needs to be very well communicated? We talked to, we, we talk to the head or directors of risk engineering and they're typically super, super bright and they get it and say, man, it makes me look so, so good in front of everyone if we can do this. Great. And then there's a but always, but. I got to be very careful with this. My entire team's freaking out. They think we're going to replace them with these walkthroughs and they don't know how it, it doesn't work like that. We still need risk engineers to communicate with the client, to manage that relationship, to help the client. It, construction, you can't, you can't just write automatically two lines of recommendations. It's a conversation, right? There's so many moving pieces. So that that uh, that's on that side. And then Generally, construction is so complex and dynamic. With the current structure in place, it's impossible to keep up with everything. That's why all the projects are either delayed or over budget. They can't control it. It's just a moving target always. So how do we help you get better visibility, get better control over the entire process? That's the thought. And it's a little bit of education, but but that's that's what we're working on. Yeah, I think you know, you're right. Your point about, hey, 
these folks have expertise, right? And you're paying them for their expertise. And when they're on a flight or, you know, driving, right, that windshield time is lost productivity. It makes a very long days for, for those guys. You incur the travel cost. And at the end of the day, right, the, the throughput is, is rather limited in terms of their skill set. So, you know, embracing technology such as computer vision and getting a 5x return on somebody that you probably pay pretty well because they have a very specialized expertise, right? You're going to want to get the most out of that expertise. And again, you know, the traditional way of, of, of doing business is something because of COVID now, I think we're looking at in a new way. And we're kind of saying, do I need to fly out there? Could I do this from my desk, right? And I don't think that'll always replace, you know, all on-site inspections by any means, but being more targeted, being more mindful about that and, and you know, just redesigning your entire processes around technology, around that desire to, you know, maximize the the throughput, minimize the associated expenses makes just a ton of sense. It made sense before, but I think in this age of COVID, uh, companies are are open to new possibilities and, and certain things just are not restricted. A lot of carriers are obviously not sending personnel out anymore. Yeah. Most folks are, are working at home. So a solution such as Onsite IQ makes a lot of sense these days. James? Yeah, I, I just want to talk about the future. This is kind of our, our, our last discussion point today. I imagine that in this group, the three of us thoroughly enjoy talking about what's coming next. For example, this week, one of everyone's heroes, Elon Musk, who has now launched more rockets than I can count, I think 100, and, 100 plus reusable rockets into space, successfully launched two manned missions to the space station and a cargo mission on the Cargo Dragon, successfully test-fired and, and launched the SN8 Starship that's going to go to Mars. And it did well on everything except for the little last tiny part about the landing. It landed a little bit fast and blew up in a glorious fireball, but everything else was successful. So, you know, when, when I think about the future, I always think about him because he's talking about humans living on Mars, right? But let's bring it back down to Earth. When we talk about the future of computer vision, and we talk about the future of automation and construction and really connecting technology and risk management. Where do you see a platform like on like where where do you see your platform and other platforms like yours having to go because right now you're already doing so much with onsite IQ, right? I mean you you you're connecting people, right? So you have a, you have a massive network of contractors that take all these images. Uh, you have a lot of really inexpensive hardware. It's beautiful how cheap 360 cameras are. And you've got a lot of really, really, really great software built on the Amazon stack that is delivering, you know, awesome, awesome results. But that's now. That's all in production. What, what, where do you see three, four, five years from now? Where do you see the platforms going and where do you see the impact on insurance? Very, very good question and point. So we have seen in other verticals when it comes to the insurance, we've seen an emergence of telematics for cars for many different things, for health. You see, you give me the information, I update my underwriting model, I adjust accordingly, right? You have your UBI, usage-based insurance, right? Or I can see a world where this will become a thing in construction as well. So right now, why do we walk the sites? Because I can very confidently tell you with all Boston Dynamics doing, all iRobots doing, these robots, they still cannot navigate a construction site fully autonomously. You need someone to walk with it. 
Now, let's say five years from now, it becomes fully autonomous, right? It can walk the whole site or it can have mini Roombas on each floor of the project. You don't have to go between floors anymore, right? It goes, walks around, docks, recharges, and on and on. The ability to analyze each floor and each point of that location fully automatically and in real time stream it back to the carrier, to the owner, to the lender, whoever needs that information, to, to the GC, right? To the PM. PM's not in every single location on a project. Even the super is not. Right? They're doing their best. That's, that's, it's so hard to control. And tying that, back, that information back to the underwriting model is when this industry is going to just, just move to a different league, right? In real time, you're tracking, and if the trends of risk, let's say casualty, property, doesn't matter, whatever lunch line you want to talk about is going up, then you get a flag, your price starts going up versus if you're keeping such a clean site consistently, hey, I'll reward you for it. Why not? Now, here's a big question. Will people voluntarily sign up? How do those incentives <laughs> well, get like, to be structured? Yeah, well, it's like you know the progressive plug the the dongle into your OBD two port and save money. Save money <laughs> only if you don't drive like James Benham. I can tell you that because like I, <laughs> I, I I'll, I'll be the last person that puts a dongle on my OBD two port in my truck because uh, I will not I will not be rewarded. You know, and so there's uh, I don't speed. I don't I don't speed. I just speedily get to the the speed limit. Limited. If you know what I mean. <laughs> acceleration. Uh, yes, I'm quick on the acceleration. Uh, I have a 6.2 liter V8 and I use every cubic inch of displacement in that engine. So that's great, man. That's that's, that's a good commentary. Uh, Rob, final questions or comments? Yeah, just, uh, you know, I was thinking computer vision is something that just doesn't get enough airtime, really, I guess, right? We haven't talked about it a ton, James, on, on this podcast. And I think this is great, uh, Arlon, having you on and and having a real life kind of application. So um, just kind of curious your thoughts about the development of c- computer vision. I would guess that we are in the, the very early stages of, of what's to come and, and what's possible, but just kind of ask you to broaden out for a moment and kind of get your thoughts on computer vision more broadly over the next decade. Yeah, absolutely. So computer vision and, and hand in hand, AI, deep learning all together, they improve significantly for two reasons. The amount of money venture capital and NSF put into AR applications and the future of AR. You see companies like Magically, we'll see how that turns out, but Apple's putting a LiDAR on. So there's a lot of investment behind R&D. And then on the other side, autonomous driving industry. So much money went to the, ta- the, to the mapping technology, localization, and also recognition. That opened up the opportunity for other markets like construction, like insurance, so on and so forth. I can tell you the AI, the deep learning network and engine is a commodity today. What is very, very proprietary is the data behind it. And that has become the asset now. So mapping technology, give it three, four years, commodity. Everyone can map. Every, everyone, it, it'll come with the camera. Why record a video? We'll map it for you. Don't worry. We'll give you a 3D model. AI, Amazon, Google. PyTorch, just everything, the engine is there. So is there an application for what you want to automate? That's the first question. Number two, do you have the data set well-structured, cleaned to train it and get to that 99% accuracy? One of the things 
uh, Tesla and Elon Musk did, which is incredible. They put they put multiple cameras on every single freaking car, and that's their data set. Every single client, customers of them, they're giving them data. Not only that, it's a labeled data, which means when I see a situation, I reacted to it with the steering wheel. So now you got the label, you got the data set. That was the smartest move to scale a, a data collection engine for autonomous driving. And now that's why they can release all these features and other competitors are still collecting data and trying to get there, right? So data sets, data set, data set. Nice. Well-structured well, data set. Excellent answer. <laughs> and uh, I do have to mention, you know, you say magically, but I just go, oh, <laughs> walking dead, buddy. They're walking dead. <laughs> Who's not walking dead? In the news this week, Boston Dynamics sells for $1.1 billion to Hyundai. What? That's right. Spot the robot dog that will be every insurance company's best friend and monitoring job site risk uh, with an autonomous robot dog with a crazy snake head on the top of it. That's right. Spot the robot dog and all the other experiments from Boston Dynamics are officially owned by Hyundai, the car company. Yeah. They're going to own... Robot dogs. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? So $1.1 billion, uh, SoftBank uh, did conduct the sale. So SoftBank was the primary investor, and they made a hefty return on this investment. SoftBank needs those hefty returns because they're getting absolutely shellacked uh, with their investment in WeWork. Uh, WeWork, the same time since we're on construction tech, shut down a field lens. They sent their notices out today, Junior. They sent their notices out that they are shutting down all operations mid-February. Uh, that is another one of the many, many, many shutdowns by WeWork. I, I I personally think WeWork doesn't pull out of this. I think they liquidate their assets myself, but I think I think they're done. I think uh, Magically is done, but uh, Boston Boston Dynamics is, uh, is done in the best way possible. They've just got acquired for one point one billion dollars, and uh, they're going to continue to play a really pivotal role. Hyundai has some amazing, amazing technology experts that are going to pour capital, resources, and, of course, most importantly, scalable manufacturing prowess. That's what Hyundai brings to the table with the ability to scale the manufacturing of Spot the Robot Dog and all the other robots that that Boston Dynamics has built. I think, uh, I think personally, I think Boston Dynamics videos are going to be the uh, stuff that the robots torture us with when they imprison us and become our overlords. That's beside the point. It is what it is. We had, we had some crazy, crazy news around that this week, though. I thought I would bring that up because it was a it was a big it was a big week in funding and in technology and acquisitions. Uh, same thing, Rob. You had another one on an on an acquisition. Yeah. So a uh, couple this week. Next Insurance. This came out yesterday. Bought Juniper Labs. So you guys might remember Lance Poole from Juniper Labs yep. was a previous guest on the InsureTech Geek Podcast. So congratulations to, to to Lance and John. This is actually the first acquisition for Next Insurance since they got a $250 million in uh, new financing back in September. The terms of the deal were not disclosed, but Lance and John are going to join Next as the head of Next Insurance Data Labs, which is intended to combine human-centric design, actual science, and machine learning to develop products and risk-based pricing. And they Next, that they're going to focus uh, this innovation in the workers' comp and general liability product offerings uh, through the use of machine learning technology. And Next is focused very much in the digital small business insurance space that we've talked about uh, quite a bit as being uh, ripe for disruption in many different ways. And then another one that uh, came across the desk this week was um, the introduction of something known as Flock Motor. So Flock is actually one of my favorite insure techs. They are based across the pond in the U.K., and they started for drone insurance, 
and they use all sorts of amazing technology to actually price policies, not just based on you know who's flying the drone and what model drone is it, but real-time weather conditions and things like that. So they are uh, introducing policies for connected vehicles, and they said this is based on demand that they've heard from fleet customers that said they were looking for something beyond traditional insurance that was more flexible, more fair, and more transparent. So congratulations nice. to the folks at Flock. We'll have to find out some more deets on the on the uh, Juniper Labs acquisition, whether it was an acquisition or an acquihire or whatever it was. I want to find out what it is. I imagine it was a good thing, especially if they if Next raised a, a big old round of financing. There, they're probably deploying cash, which means it was probably it was probably a cash deal. It'd be great to find out, but hey, you know what? A lot of those things are confidential, and of course, you know, there's all kinds of fun fun things I could say about Flock. And all kinds of uh, fun phrases and slogans I could come up with for them, but we're not going to on this show. <laughs> so we, we had a great time, man. Uh, Ardalan, uh, really enjoyed talking about the technology in your company. Uh, keep it real, keep it safe, uh, keep it awesome in New York City. Of course. Thanks so much for having me, James. Yeah. Oh, really yeah. appreciate it. Yeah. Great, great conversation, great commentary. I look forward to seeing what's coming out of the, out of the, uh, out of the product. As always, the man, the myth, the legend, the most interesting man in insurance, Rob Galbraith, thanks for uh, joining us today. Sorry you won't be able, to be able to see your arch rival get beat down by Ohio State tomorrow. It's all good. It's all good. I'll have to find another way to entertain myself for three hours. <laughs> yeah, may their, may their next coaching hire be as bad as, as, bad as Harbaugh has been, right? <laughs> I mean, wow, he was a real train wreck. He's got, he has to go back to the pros. You know, Some people just shouldn't coach college, and some college shouldn't coach pro. Nick Saban was a terrible pro coach. He was terrible, 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 and uh, you know. But he's he's the he's the best there ever was on uh, on college. So go figure. Well, guys, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. And of course, out to our listener base. Thank you as always for listening to another fun, exciting, interesting episode of the Insure Tech Geek po- Podcast, powered by JB Knowledge. It's jbknowledge.com. It's all about technology that's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. I've been your host, James Benham, jamesbenham.com, with co-host Rob Galbraith, end of insurance.com. Big thanks to Jim Greenlee, our podcast producer, Kara Daltonara, our creative producer, and thank you for joining us. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech, so enjoy the ride and geek out. See you next time.